exactly the, on your note, I don't think we know the implication of, of all this. Exactly like you said. Let's talk a royal example. You can summon a car to your house in the airport. A hundred years ago, you literally had to be the president of the United States to have that service, right? Yeah. So now you extrapolate that. That I think uh, last uh, number I saw, Uber had 150 million users. It, it will end up having a billion, right? So now extrapolate this all these tools for uh, dating, for consuming content. I do not think we are ready or know what it means to give that many people that much access to dopamine that quickly. But what does that mean? All right, listeners, we're getting right into this because Bilal's not here. It's going to be a disaster zone. Bilal... Uh, has done every single episode of NIA. This is his first episode not doing it. I'm so it's just Trung and Jack today. I, I can't even get the intro right, right? Uh, but uh, Jack, what are you drinking? Uh, what beverage are you drinking, consuming right now? I'm on and the, uh, how is your uh, Tuesday morning going? Mate, it's good. I'm on the uh, cold brew from the local coffee shop. Took the car for a service this morning. Feeling very accomplished. <laughs> Checking off the domestic chores. I got you know my what? family in town. So Family's back uh, in town. Okay, so yeah. they're uh, are they are they are they near? Are they are they monopolizing the heel with heat sauna? Mate, nobody's used it yet, but I've been offering <laughs> it up. They, you, they you certainly tell, are interested in it, and I will report back. You gotta tell them that it's clean daily. I, I think that's yeah, the yeah. hesitation here. I will pitch the benefits after this. Well, before we get in, well, let's talk about what we're going to talk about today because I had a couple more uh, questions for Jack because I know people, people have been asking, it's like, can we do some more Jack stuff? They'd like to know about Jack, okay? So, but before that, we're going to talk about uh, OpenAI and Sora. That was the big uh, thing that dropped last week. People are losing their mind. Uh, we'll talk about uh, this culture report, the state of culture by music historian, a previous friend of the and guest of the pod, Ted Joya, legend, by the way. His Substack, stack, uh, The Honest Broker, is a must read. He's basically talking about how the, the future media is looking pretty grim in the sense of we're going to be f fully distracted. Now, we already are, but he's, he's extrapolating. Um, uh, what else was there? Uh, we'll talk about, oh, Jack's got a bit about uh, the the biggest NFT sale ever. I know we still got a lot of not ever, but for a while, yeah. For a while, okay. So like, yeah, and yeah, uh, yeah. and maybe tee up is this, you know, is this a sign of more bullish crypto to come? And we'll finish off if we have time. Well, we will definitely have time for Monster Beverage, the top performing stock in the last three decades. It's it's fucking mind blowing. <laughs> Think yeah, about yeah, that's it. A good one. And uh, if we have time, again, this one will be if we have time, we'll talk about we, no one hangs out anymore and what that means. And we'll, t we'll talk about as parents. Okay, before we get into Sora and OpenAI, uh, Jack, we're going to talk to you about getting stuff done. You mentioned you got a couple things done today. All right. I think people want to know, what is Jack Butcher's work function? Like, what is it? Where have you accomplished the most work? Is it you wake up? And you tell Celia, is like, listen, I'm doing 12 hours of work today. Apologies. Uh, I'm not going to be around. Or is it you're just picking away? Like, what is the, the Jack's most productive Man, work? Early mornings is my best time for sure. Okay. It used to be late at night, but now it's early mornings, probably like five to seven or five to eight in the morning. Oh, you're up and then, early, dude. Not regularly, but that's when I like, when I have something I have to do or like, I can't get back to sleep. I'll get up and those will be the best hours. Just like before, there's something about it, man. Before the world is awake, you're not, you're not like thinking about replying to stuff or whatever else, even though that's like an arbitrary constraint. During waking hours, it just feels different. Uh, but now I'm gone really other days of the like 10 or 12 hour straight stretch. It's a lot of, uh, couple hours of inspiration here or there. Um, Trying to figure out what's next on that might um might get a space this year. Figure out a a, a little uh, physical like retreat. away from the home. Yeah, yeah, but we'll see. You'll appreciate that. this. So, I like to throw your thoughts on this. I love how you said the five to seven because you look at any Fortune five hundred CEO, they literally say that. I mean, they really have to do that, right? They're like get to the gym at four thirty, get to the office at five, try to accomplish anything before the world mm -hmm. starts. 
freaking distracted. You're just in. You're just in response mode after that point. Yeah. Exactly right. Well, I mean, I I I've rarely have had what you had, but I know that when it happens, it's magical. Like I'll wake up at five a.m. in bed, even just in bed with my wife, and like. I'm just like, don't want to wake her up, so I'll just read. It's the most productive yeah. reading I'll ever do, right? Because there's no new articles, none of the news wires have hit, and, like, you're just reading. But this is what John Mayer, the musical artist, said on Rick Rubin's podcast, patron saint of this podcast, of NIA podcast, but his own podcast. He he talked about sweat pant mode. Mm. So he's like, in, in, in his creative life, just what John Mayer is saying, he's like, Sometimes you're just letting it happen, right? You're not forcing the creative act to happen. But when you've cracked the code, when you know what the rest of it looks like, he's like, I'm putting on my sweatpants, clearing the calendar. I'm working for 72 hours straight, telling my team they need to work for 70 hours straight. And he goes, every single song that I've made that has mattered comes from one of these like 72 hour pushes. And he's like, he's just saying, how does that? There's a nivalism on that, right? The, uh, inspiration is perishable act on it immediately that's oh. definitely true yeah you know what's weird like about being uh there's some tension in it in the like quote unquote art world where like you have these periods of like production where maybe two or three months this happened at the beginning of last year where you just locked in and then you have like two or three months of your brain defragging all of that and then it comes back and you get hit with something else and yeah i've always regretted like trying to artificially limit the output in the moment like that right where you're like oh i could pace this out or i should do it in a month's time or two it's gone like by the time that you think you can come back to that idea later on there's def what is the um I, i don't know who to credit this to but the idea of like push and pull and when like you're you feel like you're forcing any creative output i don't know there's 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 an argument to be made that like the it's the the really good stuff is found through just the brute force too right it's like well let's uh, talk about behind you right now there's a checks right you just had a second kid when you started checks you easily could have just been like you know what let's just pause this let me get the first month out of the way right it's like first for uh, for people uh, for parents and then uh, if people don't have parents. I mean, uh, you don't have kids yet. Uh, this is a sentiment that I've had with all my friends. I, I believe that I've shared this with Jack, and we've kind of agreed. Listen, the first month is insane. Yeah, it I is absolute insanity, and it has to do with biology. Uh, there's something in uh, parenting called the fourth trimester, and basically, what happens with humans? Uh, a lot of people listening may already know this, but like the human brain versus the rest of the body is much bigger relative to other mammals, right? And it's obviously we have a lot of cognitive abilities to do really smart stuff and also really dumb things. But the whole point is that the brain is so much bigger than any other relative animal that we have to leave the female body, the mother, before you can't leave anymore. Like your little yeah, cranium right, right. is too big for the, the vaginal canal. So like you're actually out of the body before you can function, which is why they call it the fourth trimester. So obviously three trimesters is nine months. The fourth trimester is the last three months where you should still be developing in the womb. Like you look at some of these other mammals that get, get, get birthed out, they like the rhinos, working, yeah. they're instantly, they're on their legs, right? They're like, they're hunting down, like within a within an hour of being awake, like a, a, a baby cub right. is like already like snatching other animals, right? So um, something to think about. But to Jack's point, for I mean, the reason I bring it up is like that first three months, insanity. First weeks in that Jack created checks during one of these periods, so I think it's just one of those things, right? It's like you're, it's like the nivalism, I guess. You that dude, that is the best example of nivalism. You struck when totally objectively in the worst time right, possible. Right, right, the worst time, yeah, for sure. And then, yeah, after that, shout um, out to Celia. Shout out to Celia. I, yeah, exactly, man. Every podcast should open with a tribute because that's like the only way it would have happened yeah it's uh it's uh i don't know the the momentum thing i've felt that in every different type of venture or focus it's like momentum is the most precious thing in the world man it's like the compounding works in both directions where like even the the daily habit of the visualized value um 
the visualized value style illustrations that were Instagram and Twitter to begin with, like this is not new information for anybody. So the more you do it, the easier it gets, right? And then if you miss one day, it's like, oh, two days later, I'll do it. And then it's four days, then it's six days, and then a month has gone by, right? Versus like keeping it this habitual thing where you just like your brain is kind of uh, able to access that set of functions or whatever Beast it is mode. that powers that so much more easily. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so you like, you're giving up a little bit of that too. In the, I'm, I'm sure this is like how musicians think about it or how they experience it. It's like, it feels different, like sitting down to write a song than like covering, uh, you know, writing a lesson about subject matter that you already understand or know, right? It's different than like trying to pull something out of the ether and turn it into something interesting. Well, dude, I'll give you a perfect example of what you're saying for just my life. And I think maybe more relatable to a lot of people that listen is like writing, like writing a, a, uh, a recommendation. A lot of people get uh, told when they're like, Hey, I want to start a newsletter is like, just do a roundup of what you've read because a roundup is, infinitely more easy to yeah. Jack's point than building a new idea from scratch. Yeah. Even though it might end up being the same words, like you might do a roundup of five articles you read. The, the mental blocker to doing that is almost nothing compared to like, Hey, I'm going to attack a topic from scratch. It might also be only 2000 words, but you will be shocked at how much more difficult it is to do cognitively. I think, and the last thing I'll say about this is, uh, uh, I know we got to jump in the source stuff, but kind of related is like, people are just lazy. Humans are lazy. We want to be lazy. That's what you're going up against, right? Is like humans are cognitive misers. It's because the brain takes up 20 to 30% of all of our body's energy. So you actually just want to be lazy, which is totally fair. And I totally get it. Uh, and this is why I think to Jack's, uh, what Jack's mentioned about momentum is, it's why when you have that, you just got, you just got to grab it and just like, just ride the bull, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100%, man. It's all seasons. It's all like, you know, the there are no straight lines in any of this stuff either, which is hard thing to trust when you're on the bottom of those lines sometimes, but That's they come why back around. Never say this is pointless. Yeah, sine waves. <laughs> all right, so we'll get into the meme of the week here. We'll share screen. So uh, a little inside baseball with some folks. I, I know some people over at... Uh, Will Smith's media company, nice. Westbrook. And they sent me a message like, yo, uh, can you, uh, you, you want to throw this video up? Uh, Will's not super active on Twitter. I don't, I don't think he even has a Twitter account, an official one. But uh, so uh, for people that don't know what's on the screen right now for the listeners is the uh, man, Growing Daniel, funniest Twitter, man. He's so funny, dude. How funny is Growing Daniel? Very funny. He had one of the best tweets I saw. So Sora is the text to video model from OpenAI. I buried the lead there again. But a grown Daniel had this tweet. He goes, Will Smith eating spaghetti. So for people who don't get that reference is a year ago when a lot of these uh, text-to-video models came out, well, the running joke was everybody was trying to do a video of Will Smith eating spaghetti and they are just grim. <laughs> it's just like uncanny valley, just just terrifying, right? Nightmare fuel. And, uh, but grown Daniel wrote... Uh, uh, Will Smith eating spaghetti is like the four minute mile of uh, AI video. Nice. <laughs> it's like nice. once that's cracked, it's like it's it's over, right? Yeah. So a year ago, so the video I'm going to show here is it's uh the top part of this video. So Will Smith posted this. He leaned into the memes because when Sora released this AI model, everyone was asking, "Okay, cool, like very cool demonstrations." So some of the videos that were prompted, they're 60 second videos, uh, would be like. Walking in a Tokyo street. I can ask Rafa, super producer, to post that up. It's like it's a video of a of a, a woman walking in Tokyo. It looks very realistic, uh, but for about thirty seconds. Another one was like puppies uh, uh, in snow. Again, looks extremely realistic. Until you, I mean, if you look a little bit closer, which we'll talk about, you can see something's up. But just from a lazy scrolling eye, like imagine you're scrolling your feed, you'd be like, oh damn, that look that's real. Mm -hmm. um, but the point is everybody's like, okay, this is cool. Show us the Will Smith video <laughs> because as I'll show here for the, uh, for the listeners, um, the Will Smith video from a year ago, which is the top of this frame is grim. So Will Smith 
uh, leaned into the meme and yesterday, which would be Monday, he created his, he made a video of him eating spaghetti and he's like joking that it's now what AI is a year later. Mm. But here's the video. Oh, wow. He really went with the theme. Like how, how terrifying is that upper video? Mate, crazy. Good for him, man. This is on Instagram or something. He yeah, it's it. on his Instagram. Yeah. 63 million followers. Wow. Um, the, uh, I mean, some of the comments when I post a video hysterical, keep my wife's spaghetti out of your mouth, oh, which nice. is like yeah. a reference to Will Smith. Uh, he stayed in Chris the news, Ryan. man. He knows what he's doing. He knows how to ride meme waves. If you Do you remember when he did Drake, when one of Drake's songs blew up? And uh, Kiki, do you know oh, me? Yeah, yeah. You remember? Then, then Will Smith won the entire, everybody's doing the dance. He climbs on a bridge in Hungary and Budapest, does a dance, and then and then Drake's like, okay, this is the best one. Like Drake calling out Will mm. Smith, right? Obviously, then you know each other. Uh, Will Smith is a hip-hop pioneer. Okay, enough of me talking. Uh, meme of the week. You saw Sora instant uh, first reactions. Mm-mm-mm. Crazy, obviously, unbelievable. Uh vertical progress just in terms of like the quality of it and i guess the difficulty you would assume or the amount of time you would assume it would take to get to this level of fidelity um i read a good tweet about it, it was like i don't know what's interesting about this stuff playing out is like you it, it becomes like this superpower that everybody has therefore it's like not a superpower anymore right i think the the biggest or most interesting thing about it and maybe the most like challenging thing for them building a product is how do you uh protect against like spoof videos and you know deep fake stuff and i'm sure that's all like baked into how they will launch it but that to me is like like generating stock footage or whatever else is just it's fascinating for like 10 seconds and then you're like oh that's just like the new that's the new bar that's the new plateau and uh some i mean some of this stuff is like it's it's so technically impressive but it hasn't actually uh like in my work, I haven't found that many use cases for this stuff, really. And even making um, the comparison between AI-generated stuff and handmade stuff within some of the collections that I've been working on the last couple of years, there is a distinct preference for the handmade stuff. And people can tell what's... What do you mean from like quote unquote the audience, real and like the market, basically? The market, yeah. yeah. So what... Um, uh, what why don't you tease out a bit when you're saying distinct preference what do you mean well so one of the projects i launched last year is called opepin i think we talked about it a little bit on here and um originally it was a play on the open ai thing opepin ai and it was going to be this single silhouette that was reinterpreted sixteen thousand different ways through like a an image model you could still recognize the underlying shape and silhouette of this thing but as AI capabilities got greater and greater and greater, it would kind of catalog that journey. Why so 16,000? That's how many tokens there were minted oh. of an open edition. Yeah. Okay, cool. So we Very kind of cool. retroactively modifying the artwork to comment on the evolution of AI image making. And, and what we ended up doing was dicing it up into 200 different releases, thinking that there'd be 200 sort of chapters in this story of the evolution of image making and like this Sora thing would be a perfect example of uh, a technology that you would kind of memorialize in this collection but I think it was the second set we did with Stable Diffusion I was obsessed with it I did like probably five six thousand outputs myself dude <laughs> <laughs> where did this collection end up going for all the work you put in there's, I'm still on my computer. I, we, there was, ended up being six images that made it into the like actual collection that are now okay. on Ethereum. But I did all of these iterations because my original plan was to make 16,000 unique outputs by going through this process to kind of, you know, comment on this idea of the 
labor involved with actually making something good with yeah. AI. Because obviously there's taste, there's prompting, there's all, it gets like really quickly into this philosophical discussion of what is an AI artwork. Because even since then, the stuff I did with Red Bull last year, I used uh, ChatGPT to write the code. But if you ask anybody if that's an AI artwork, they would say no. It's a, like, because it's not an AI generated image per se, it's like one step removed. So I don't know, all of the conversations around this stuff are like, I don't know, they've gotten less interesting to me than I thought they would be a year ago where they, it feels like it's just becoming this like, corporate stock footage machine, you know? And that's like the way they likely will monetize this in the most effective way too. I have a friend that sells um, software for Adobe and all their clients want is like models that are trained on all of the stock footage that they've ever shot so they can just churn out more and more. Like, like that's uh, for all like the for all of the best case use scenarios that we've talked about, like this is what it comes down to. It's like a cheaper Getty's images. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and I, I think like it really starts to highlight like where the talent actually is, you know, like the, the ability to write a story, tell a joke, like everybody is kind of catching up with this idea that image making has been commodified in some way. Uh, Yes, yeah, I thought we would uh, spend more time talking about it or I would personally be more interested in it. But I do find it like shockingly like, oh, that's kind of cool. And then just move on from it. You know, it's a thing that I thought it would just like envelop me, but it hasn't yet anyway. I mean, as a practitioner, which you are, I think that's very telling and something, you know, everyone should take note on. So my thought on it is I totally agree with you. So Marquez Brownlee, uh, MKBHD, obviously super YouTuber, he made a video about Sora. So he said two things. He was amazed by it, uh, it just by the progress, right? He's like, he kept in this 12-minute video, he kept on going back to like, guys, I have to let you know, a year ago we had Will Smith spaghetti. He kept on saying it, right? Right, right. This is what it looked like a year ago. It was Will Smith spaghetti, like freaky, creepy nightmare feel. Mm -hmm. And then now, look, you can still see. So... Before, uh, I'll give you one thought on his video, which was very profound. He's like, he said the exact same thing you said. He says, I think the first people that will lose jobs will be stock video creators. And he said, uh, because he pointed out specifically to a shore shot of San Francisco Bay. And he's like, which is one of the uh, uh, demos that uh, OpenAI gave. He's like, this, imagine you had a choice between this or paying a drone uh, flight camera guy, having editor team. You're going to go with, the Sora mm -hmm. option, a hundred times out of a hundred. But he's like extrapolating. So in his mind, uh, I think it's similar to you, is like amazement, but also just like not enveloped by it. Yeah. But he's like, okay, what's 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 this going to be like in five years though? He's like, what is the fidelity going to be like in five years? Will the physics- What's funny is it, ju it just like pushes out like where the actual creativity is almost. Like yeah. it, it does like, in my mind, it does increase- the quality of work or the originality in work that people will have to do, right? It's like the fact that there's like multiple companies shooting stock footage of San Francisco Bay is the most dumb, <laughs> You're such right. a fucking stupid You're waste right. of time. And I used to be in that business, right? Where it's like, yeah. oh, we need to go out for B-roll. We need to call the police, get the road closed. <laughs> we need to ask for permission from the FAA to fly a drone up here to get this like nondescript five second clip of some water and some cliff and some cliffs. Like, why are we doing this? Because Fair. it's cheaper than going to Getty Images and licensing this and getting a lawyer to see to figure out how many times it's been viewed and then going back for the license after that. And but there's like content creation did become this like just ridiculous, nonsensical bubble. But also the weird thing to me is, does the ability to generate that really easily almost stop people from including it in the work that they make, you know, like, I, I don't, 
like the standard car ad, right? Where you have the, all the different terrains and the car goes through this one and that one, this one, if it costs like a hundred bucks to generate the footage for that car companies are still going to want to spend $2 million on a spot. So what are they going to do differently? It's like, it just moves the goalposts in my mind way, way, way up, which hopefully is a good thing, you know, like the amount of creativity that is really not operating at the edge, you know, it's just like production and, you know, it's, it almost reminds me of like hospital administration. It's like all of the stuff that we still have people doing that we really don't need them doing. Um, does this push people towards like being more creative and kind of taking some of the atomic limits off of stuff, like the five days you would have spent getting the clips of the trees and the water. Now you spend those five days doing something that is truly unique or more creative or more interesting. So we'll, we'll see how it plays out. And you're saying this, as like you said, somebody that used to do this, right? You're not just, you're not throwing stone. You used to do this. No, 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 not at all. Like I'm saying like we, like some of the most brutal work I've ever done is like, I did a 40 day road trip shooting a car commercial across the States to produce like 90 pieces of content probably. Right. And now I don't, I, I haven't been in that line of work for a few years. So I'm, I'm probably overestimating how much AI would, um, reduce the amount of work that had to be done there. But so much of that was like completely commoditized and it's more like driven by the legal situation too, where you can't just use footage that you find, right? That footage exists and I know what would look great cut together, but you have to physically go and capture it with your own equipment in order to be able to legally use it. So this definitely changes that. But at the same time, it devalues all of that stuff because it's so much cheaper to generate. Like the beautiful shot of this, like um, Mercedes used to shoot all these spots on the salt lakes in uh, Nevada, like the you know, these like incredible aerial. In, yeah, the beautiful vista. Yeah, I, I know which one you're talking about. Unbelievable production to do that. And I don't think we're there on like the the AI generative side yet, but we can't be far off. And if people know that you can get that from a prompt in 30 seconds, that's not like it's no longer wowing special. the consumer, you know? Yeah. Well, here, here's a great example. Uh, Jurassic Park does the first real CGI. I mean, like Terminator 2 does, but you see that, you're like, oh my God. Like, imagine watching Terminator 2 the first time in the 90s. You're like, this is, uh, 1991. You're like, oh my God, T-1000? But like you said, every Marvel Star Wars movie now is 95% CGI. It's table stakes. It means nothing. It's It, it doesn't sell anything, right? So this is like a, a, a version of that. Yeah, yeah, I do. I think... Uh... That used to be something that you would go to the cinema for. Right? I was like, I have to see this in the cinema because of the the um, the level of special effects, and even that, the bar on that now to me is like the Christopher Nolan, you know, Inception level, like that kind of stuff. To me, that's like the edge where yeah. you could not prompt one of those scenes from Inception. You know, you could get the the version of the city that has been captured a million times by a lot of people, but it does push the bar for true creativity Fold. out. <laughs> well, the running joke with that one, you know, how he loves practical effects. Like he's trying to make everything as real as possible. It's like, man, I can't believe Christopher Nolan, they just rolled up Paris like that, man. Yeah, how did he yeah, get the yeah, permits? I was going to say is, uh, let me just uh, end on two notes on the source stuff is, uh, uh, so Dan Shipper from Every wrote a great article. I highly recommend people read it. He explained how um, how Sora works. And I'm going to butcher it, but I think it's quite interesting because you had just mentioned your 16,000 token project. But for people that don't know, the way that the uh, chat GPT works, the, uh, the text generative model, is basically it, it, it swallowed the internet, all this text, and it's basically guessing 
the next word based on the context of the previous words. And, uh, and the way that Sora works is uh, the, the equivalent of a token, which is what is being output in ChatGPT for text, is called a patch. So the patch is the video version of a, of a word token. And the patch is basically taking samplings of that scene, uh, the frame prior, and based on ingesting whatever they ingested, probably a lot of video on the internet. And this is actually why Google has a massive potential uh, a data advantage because of YouTube. No one's got more, like, I don't know what the stat is. I think it's like 100 hours of video uploaded every second on YouTube. Right but on. that training data is insane. But back to OpenAI. They, uh, the videos are guessing the next patch, basically. Which is why when you watch them, weird things still happen. Like, people disappear. Yeah. Uh, some uh, physics are just impossible. Like, the people movements. But what's interesting is that uh, so again, read Dan's article. We'll, we'll link to it in the show notes. Is uh, it's kind of figuring out physics uh, without you know this predetermined uh, parameters placed into the model. It's kind of just figuring out from this freaking transformer magic that's been happening with text and with Dolly uh, prior. But uh, that was just kind of like the uh, inside baseball, which I completely ruined and how it's done. The other thing I'd say is you probably saw this tweet. Uh, the uh, which I think is relevant to what we're talking about, uh, yeah. So, this one you probably saw this. Let me know if you saw this for listeners. It's from uh, Matt Turk, uh, venture capitalist. Uh, he's got some banger tweets. He goes, uh, A movie watching experience in 2005, you go to the movie theater, in 2015, you stream Netflix, in 2025, you ask an LM plus Sora to create a new season of Narcos to watch, but have it take place in Syria with Brad Pitt, Mr. Beast, and Travis Kelsey in leading roles. That went super viral. The idea being that you can just create your own TV shows now or extend the ones that you love like instantly. By the way, I'm a cool bullshit on that. Okay, I don't, think that's, I, I don't think that's going to be a behavior. And I think like that's been sort of debunked so many times throughout like any technical innovation where it's like everybody can do this now. And it's like the idea being that the technology not existing is the reason for people not participating in that way. I don't think that's necessarily true, you know, like not on a large scale anyway. It's like the the 1% of people creating media on any network and 99% of people consuming it. I don't think these tools existing at scale change that dynamic. But the the first place your brain goes to is thinking, I mean, myself included. I agree with you 100%. Dude, I 100%, uh, the, 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 you nailed the key number. It's the 1%, 9%, 90% rule, right? For people who don't know this, it's 1990. 1% of people create, 9% of people maybe comment, add a few thoughts, 90% only consume. This is like across every network, any media network. Uh, I'll give you an example. Like if you go on Amazon reviews, like I think one dude has like 50,000 reviews. It's like the book reviews. Like incredible. Anybody that buys a book is consuming from basically one person. Right, uh, like the decision making, and uh, I grew Jack entirely. The first place your mind goes, like everything's gonna be super customized, but the reality is, no. Mate, I can't even pick from a <laughs> list of stuff. You know, like yeah. like the amount of imagination required to go a step beyond and like create your own show, to me is like. Dude, I love it. I can't bonkers. even pick a Netflix show right. to watch, like stuff that's already pre-made for me, and they're feeding me based yeah, on my path. Yeah, like yeah. I will, I will be on my TV for half an hour with my wife getting into an argument about what to watch. So now we're going to make custom. Like, I agree with you. It's well, no you know chance. What? You know what? I think it's more like it, it will follow more the pattern of the algorithm just giving you shit that makes yeah. you never look away. Right, It's right, not going right. to be asking you for your like shit prompts about what you think is good. It's just going to be like, hey, we know you're going to not look away from the screen if we keep feeding you X, right? The algorithm yeah. to create we keep ex- content. We know, you, we know you love Sopranos. We're just going to keep extending this story for you. I'll <laughs> tell you two things. Sopranos season yeah. 400, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll tell you two things about it. A, that shit is so dystopian. It is so dark, man. Yeah, yeah. Imagine being the only person that has saw season 401 of Sopranos. You have no one to talk to. You're on your Apple Vision Pro. 
like between tug sessions, if we're being honest. <laughs> You're in season 500. I don't think people want this, man. This is the uh, you know. Now we're getting to now we're getting to the nitty gritty of it. I love how you've just been taking the contra of everything. Jack's like, a, you know what? Amazing technology. It's not enveloping my mind. B. Jack's like, yeah, I don't think anybody's self prompting different shows for themselves. Just we talked about it, cognitive misers. We're lazy people. You have to understand and how lazy the, we are. And you gotta give the the Luke Burgess hat tip too, right? You want to consume stuff that is like has other points of contact with reality yes. that you can share with people or talk to people about or yeah i think that is really under appreciated that the value of media obviously is in the craft of it the art of it the story of it but it's like a shared experience by definition right these things that multiple people can consume back to something you said last week stuck culture you brought the topic of stuck culture you want to know why stuck culture is here it's because people want stuff everyone cared about right this is right. why i still make jokes about movies from the 90s i talk about dumb and dumber gladiator and like lord of the rings because i know everyone's seen them you know what i mean i know everyone's seen them and yeah. like those are what people want this is this is like stu stuck culture to be fair to stuck culture it's there's a reason it's stuck right is like people want shared uh media and it's our probably our echo bubble too you know like yeah, our, our nostalgic preferences like the people we read the opinions of are similar ages to us have similar like grew up nostalgic for the similar times like kids 10 years like there was as much commentary about stuck culture as there was people saying like who's usher like their yeah. kids like well who the fuck's this like that it's always going through the lens of like the people that are similar to you the reason you're reading their stuff is because you agree with them for the most part you're like oh this must be how everybody is consuming and understanding this issue and most of the time we're just like ostrich with a head down the hole right Yep, 100%. And I think uh, this is a perfect way to segue into the next topic we teased. We'll do this one quickly. Ted Joya, Honest Broker, wrote a state of culture report. He's a longtime historian uh, of music, but also used to work in consulting in Silicon Valley. So he has a nice mix of technology and culture. Very important now. So I'm going to show this screenshot. Uh, Jack, let me know if you can see it. I'll talk you through it. I got you, yeah. Uh, can you see that? Hey, yes, sir. The, he says the rise of dopamine culture. So I'll kind of talk through this if you can just digest it and give me any thoughts you had on it. But uh, so basically, the point that Ted's making is that if you actually look at the nature of where technology, where we spend our time is taking us, it's pretty grim in the sense of the end game here seems to be pure consumption and not a ton of creativity, kind of what Jack was alluding to, the 90% that consumes. So we'll take athletics, all right? So Ted has split this graph into three. He says there's a slow traditional culture followed by a fast modern culture followed by a dopamine culture. And this is just the trend line we're on. Okay, athletics. We used to play sports. Now we watch sports. In the next decade, we're going to gamble on sports. Okay, that's already already happening, but I'm kind of giving you a timeline here. Journalism. You used to read newspapers. Now you're consuming it in all types of multimedia and it goes towards dopamine, clickbait. So... You're basically, you're fighting attention, right? So the, everything's leading towards how do I capture the most attention and this is where it's taking you. Because gambling in the sports example, what's easier? To gamble to get your dopamine or to call up five buddies, organize a pickup game on Saturday, right? Way easier to gamble, obviously. Video goes from film to kind of uh, streaming to reels of short videos. Music, you used to consume albums. You take your time, you consume it. You do tracks now. Now it's TikToks. Images, you view a gallery wall, you look on your phone, now you scroll on your phone. Communication, handwritten letters, voice, email, memo, and now just short text. Relationships, courtship and marriage, and then fast uh, sexual freedom, and then now you swipe on an app. So I think what he's shown is that the friction is being taken away from everything, and because the friction is taken away, they're competing for attention way better and distraction. So like, I, just, uh, I, I know it threw a lot there. Any thoughts on that in general? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's 
the commentary of it being like removing friction, I think is a good way to frame it because it is basically amplifying people's underlying base desires or instincts or whatever, you know, however you want to categorize those things is it's like increasing the bandwidth with which you can partake in any of that stuff. Like most people put in this, put in a situation where you choose one of those things, everything trends towards access and convenience. And you can frame that as like quality of life increasing, right? It's like, what is the, um, like technology, I forget the entire quote, but it's like a sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from right, magic. Right, from magic. Yeah, which is the like Uber summoning the driver to your door, which was a um, life experience that could only be accessed by royalty 200 years ago, let's say. I think you can do that basically on every single level of that chart like even the ability to like gamble on the outcome of a game is like that's like a high society activity at one point or it's uh like not something that you would have access to as a like normal person same for uh all the dating apps all of that like that is just completely skewed the um quote unquote opportunity in the same way that like, if you're a great writer in a place where nobody appreciates what you're writing about, the internet connects you to all these other people. But yeah, I, I don't know. I think the, the dopamine argument is like people have basically always been trying to do that, but now these devices just massively Instant. increase the bandwidth to yeah. getting there. And the number of people that can do it instantly. I, I don't exactly the, on your note, I don't think we know the implication of, of all this. Like, exactly like you said, let's talk a royal example. You used to, you can summon a car to your house in the airport. A hundred years ago, you literally had to be the president of the United States to have that service, right? Yeah. So now you extrapolate that. That I think uh, last uh, number I saw, Uber had 150 million users. It, it will end up having a billion, right? So now extrapolate this all these tools for uh, dating for consuming content i do not think we are ready or know what it means to give that many people that much access to dopamine that quickly like, what does that mean like what is well, it just, i think mean? you just you just have more agency like in every area of your life where previously like you may have um sort of been been confined to or accept the circumstances in which you are like physically limited to and now all of these things in every category are basically breaking that apart to the degree that your individual decisions on like an hour by hour basis have a massive uh impact on the trajectory of your life it's like these things can either be used for getting you closer to where you want to go or going in the absolute opposite direction. But it's just the feedback loop is so fast. Um, like the internet as somebody who has a platform, right? It's like that can destroy you in, in five seconds if you send the wrong thing or say the wrong thing. Or it can be this vehicle for you to reach untold amount of people. And I think that that like metaphorically applies to all of that stuff you know it's like the as your quote-unquote quality of life increases or the or the power of your technology increases like the amount of good judgment you have to exercise in parallel with that is gets more significant too like the ability to order a burger king four times a day you know and not have to <laughs> Not have to move from your seat. <laughs> Dude, do you know how good the Whopper is? Man, I love Burger it, King. I love Burger King. The Whopper is such a good... It's The Whopper is the best burger. 
The, be- the Whopper is the best burger of any of the major chains. Right. As a, as a, a, it's so good. I'm a bacon double cheeseburger. From personally, Burger King. But you've had the Whopper. A long time ago, yeah. I have to have another one then. What well, is it about I mean, the Whopper that you like? I think it's the tomato, lettuce, and the sauce. I don't okay. know if the sauce is the same for double cheese. So, they, okay, you know what? It's small detour. What are your top three burgers? We just started this game. Let me finish uh, my side, and then I'll let you think on it. So, number one for me, just based on the most I've ever eaten, it's yep. got to be spicy chicken from Wendy's. Like, just I'm doing pure numbers. Okay. Spicy I've never chicken had a Wendy's, Wendy's, by the way. Oh, have to try that. Please try a spicy chicken and let me know All what right. you think. All right. Number based on your reaction to Ferrer, Ferrer Rocher, uh, for people who don't know, Jack like was not a fan. He had it. He said, "Meh, I think I can get you back with a spicy chicken." Okay, chicken spicy sandwich. Chicken. You'll, that'll hit, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, number two, just based on lifetime consumption, it's probably Big Mac. Yeah. I think that okay. the the older I got, I found the extra piece of bread a little bit unnecessary. A little I'm bit like, much. dude, I'm old. I'm like, dude, do I need all these carbs? Like, like I, I've been taking the bread like, in the middle laugh. is a little excessive. Yeah, yeah, I'm like, I'll get a big magnet. I'll take out the middle bread, but like, make sure not none of the sauce gets lost. It, it's so dumb. I'll take out the bread, but make sure all the onion pieces stay in the burger. Yeah. But I just want the sauce without the bread. And then the third will be, I just say. This one is just a Whopper. I like the Junior Whopper, by the way. I think the Whopper's too big. Yeah, Junior okay. Whopper's nice bite size. Okay, so hit me with your top. Three. Let us know in the comments your yeah. top burgers. Yeah, uh, I like the um, yeah the bacon double cheese the XL bacon double cheeseburger from Burger King. Okay, that's, I'm gonna try that. I'm gonna try that. That's a that's a heater there, and uh, <laughs> I also like the grilled chicken BLT Chick Fil A. Okay. That's a recent one. So Nashville's obviously stacked with Chick-fil-A. So I'm I'm consuming that every now and again. And then the last one is probably, I don't know what the name of the order is, but In N Out, the you know, like the classic In N Out oh, burger the, in California. Uh, the, the uh double, double. Monster, monster style, savage style, was it? Like was it was I think called? it's uh, animal, animal animal style. style. Yeah, yeah. You know what? I should have included that. I I'm will also that. say I kinda like Shake Shack. I kinda like the Shack burger. Yeah. I'll throw good. it in there. Um all right, let's put a let's pin this conversation with uh, with my wife just rocked down here. Yeah. She just gave me the knowing I, you saw <laughs> Jackie. What are you doing in here? Yeah, you, dude, you know the look too, right? And then she's hearing me talk about it. She's like, dude, you saw. I have a very people, important know, call to make. We yeah. all have the same eyes. It's like when they see the smallest walking down, so unimpressed. You've seen it. <laughs> all right, so this is perfect. Uh, let me pin with this. Uh, We'll end this section about the culture report with something that Balaji said on his podcast, the Network State podcast, which I don't know if Jack, if you had the chance to listen, you're a busy guy. I haven't listened to it yet, no. Yeah, so, well, yeah, so he dropped like eight episodes. Uh, the, uh, he's talking about distribution, which I know you appreciate. I mean, it's mm-hmm. a, I mean, the way mm-hmm. the, the actual anecdote is not something that's, it's a terrible, I mean, it's an awful story. It's about Ted Kaczynski and Unabomber, but Balaji is making a point. He's like, if people don't remember, Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber, was sending bomb packages to various people. I think this is, the, I can't remember if it was the early or late 90s, earlier mid 90s. But this guy's a genius, right? Like he was a, he's in Goodwill Hunting, they talk about him. Like he was like a Will Hunting type character, mm-hmm, Harvard mm-hmm. dude and uh, Harvard math genius. But the reason he was sending these bombs, he had a certain memo, a famous memo, the Yuma Bombers memo, about how technology is ruining society. And he wanted one of the major newspapers, Post, NY Times, to publish it. And his way to get leverage for them to publish it, for him to get distribution, was to send bombs to people. Terrorism, right? The point that Bellagio was making is like, Mm, that's how important... Yeah, yeah, like that's how important distribution is. And that was the lengths that some, obviously Ted Kaczynski had serious mental health problems. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, but like the lengths that he would go to to get distribution. And the reason I bring that up though is like you're talking about we're dealing with where people used to have to go through that and don't even talk about like the printing press in the 1450s, which we've talked about previously, right? The lengths people would go through, people would fight wars to get distribution. Mm-hmm. And now instantaneous for billions of people. Think about what that's doing to us. I think we can move on from, unless you had any thoughts on that before we move on to Monster Beverage and we, we can call that our last section. No, that's good. You reckon we could do it in three minutes, Monster? Yeah, let's do I'll Monster go. quickly. All right. All right, go. Oh, well, here, uh, why don't I do this? 
I'll just ask you about Monster, and you can jump off because I know you got a hard stop. What do you yeah. know about Monster Beverage? Uh, I know that the maybe I got introduced to it through Ken Block. You know all the content they used to make with uh, Jim Carner. Uh, it was like emerged in my life after the Red Bull thing. I would I would think of them as basically like copying the Red Bull. Media strategy. Ah, they're the they're the Pepsi to Red Bull's Coca Cola. Yeah, that that's my understanding of it. And then Jim Connor, Ken Block, all of that stuff. I was obsessed with that for a long time. Even though I I don't think I've ever drunk a can of Monster in my life, but I've had the white non sugar one. Red Bull's way better in my opinion. I'm a Red Bull guy. But uh, I'll throw you two numbers before you bounce. So you nailed it. Uh, the energy drink market's about ninety billion dollar market a year. Red Bull's number one. It's about $50 billion of that. And then number right. two is is Monster. What people don't know, Monster is a monster company. Uh, best performing stock the last three decades. Uh, I'll leave you on this because you'll appreciate it. They made a monster, uh, man, on pun unintended, with Coca-Cola. A huge distribution deal about a decade mm. ago. Coca-Cola saw what Monster was doing uh, and they invested $2 billion for 16% of the company. So that gave it a valuation of $12 billion. Monster is now a $50 billion company. Wow. Coca-Cola's investment went from $2 billion to $12 billion. But here's the deal. Coca-Cola swapped their drink portfolio with Monster. They gave Monster all their energy drinks. They had these random energy drinks that we probably have and never uh, don't remember. Right. Monster gave Coca-Cola all their non-energy drinks, which is a bunch of juices. If you ever had Hanson's or Peace Tea, that used to be Monsters. Monster used to be called Hanson's Natural. But anyways, uh, let me finish with this. The distribution deal is this. Jack loves distribution. Coca-Cola, as part of this deal, would only hold monster-related beverages as their energy drinks. So you got that global distribution. 300 countries, millions mm. of stores only would hold monster. What yeah. a fucking deal, man. Crazy. And that's like only because Red Bull exists were they able to track that deal, yeah. Exactly. And so there you go. That was Coca-Cola's play. They bought the biggest. And to Jack's point about Monster copying Red Bull's playbook, Monster sponsors NASCAR. Monster sponsors all these extreme sports. So yeah. uh, there you go, people. That's and I was fun. just, just to, just to tie it back into one of the earlier topics, the uh, imagine giving a can of Monster to a 200, <laughs> in a, a person 200 years ago, here's a can of Monster. Like, what you're able to, the, I don't even know how to explain it. Like the stuff that exists no, in that can further, would be like had, five years of. No, oh, but bro, yeah, they yeah. had coffee. No, yeah. no, no, what I'm saying is this. Go back to fucking 5,000 BC. <laughs> Go to the pyramid times. Somebody put like, this as a, this could be a prompt for uh, so Sora, by the way. Yeah. Caveman drinking a monster energy drink. <laughs> Could you imagine giving the pyramid builders the bucket, a case of monster? Like what? That's a happen? Super Bowl spot right yeah, there. That's a, oh, there it was. All right, man. I know you got to bounce, brother. But uh, amazing episode. Uh, 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 we held it down for Bilal. We'll, we'll need Bilal's thoughts on whether or not we, we did a good job. But uh, we'll say, thank you, listeners. You know, share episode, leave us a review, uh, all the good stuff. We'll, we'll chat to you next week. Appreciate All right, peace you. Out. Bye. All right, buddy. He's on. Nice mate. one, mate. I'll see you in a bit. Thank you. Yeah, peace Bye. out.